0: My scripture text this morning is from the book of Zechariah. Before we do that, I want to give you kind of a larger picture uh, so that you have a sense of where that fits. We're we're preaching from minor prophets, it's called. They're they're little books with big messages. I love the Minor Prophets, and there's some story to that, but I feel like every time we read from one of these, I want to give you some sense of context and its setting. So let me start by reminding us real quickly and pictorially about the big storyline of Scripture. It's real easy to have a favorite verse and to get so focused on that verse that you think that's everything God has to say. God revealed the gospel in a bigger narrative, in a story. And you want to remember that story. Otherwise, you're so focused on this that you miss the big thing. The thing that I want you to remember about the big storyline today is that the promise passes on and it expands. We're given a promise, the gospel, and it's meant to pass on as well as expand. And you see that, this is the storyline through the whole Bible. Begins in Genesis with the promise to a person named Abraham. He believed and it was credited to him as righteousness. So he was saved, he was brought into covenant relationship with God the same way you and I are. Faith responding to grace. God calls him, he responds in faith, it's credited as righteousness, the covenant begins. But the promise passes on and expands. His son passes it on to his sons and the family of Jacob. Jacob whom I chose, it's now a family. Jacob has 12 sons. That becomes the people of Israel, eventually an entire nation. And that's where we are when we read Zechariah. We're centuries into this expanding family called Israel. And their history as a nation. But the next place it passes on and then expands is with the church of Jesus Christ in mission. And that's the whole New Testament. But even that will continue to pass on and expand to every tribe and tongue and nation. That's why we send missionaries out, that's why there are people in underground churches. In Iran, in Red China, in places we can't even mention. It's because the big story is this. The promise passes on and expands. Because one day, and the book of Revelation lays this out, chapters 5 through 9 in particular, there will be a gathering, of, and those from every tribe and tongue and nation will gather around the throne of a lamb who looked as if he were slain. So this is the big storyline. Zechariah is towards the end of the people of Israel as a nation. We are in the time of the church of Jesus in mission. But it's one story. It's about how God reaches out by grace. We respond by faith. And it runs through all of this. So this morning, I hear the word of God. I'll be reading from Zechariah chapter 8, verses 9 through 1. Uh, in your pew Bible, it's page 733. It's often kind of hard to find those minor prophets, but I want you to be able to dig in. Hear the word of God. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Now hear these words. Let your hands be strong so that the temple may be built. This is also what the prophets said who were present when the foundation was laid for the house of the Lord Almighty. See, same message. Before that time... There were no wages for people or hire for animals. No one could go about their business safely because of their enemies. Since then, I had since I had turned everyone against their neighbor. But now, change in time, I will not deal with the remnant of Israel as I did in the past. Declares the Lord Almighty. For now, the seed will grow. I like the ESV translation, and we'll dig into this. It says, for there shall be a sowing of shalom. There shall be a sowing of shalom. The vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and the heavens will drop their dew. I will give all these things as an inheritance to the remnant of this people. Just as you, Judah and Israel, have been a curse among the nations, so... I will save you. God acts. I will save you. And because of my action, you will be a blessing. Do not be afraid, but let your hands be strong. Let's pray. Oh, Lord, our God and Father, we thank you for your word that you moved upon Zechariah, that he had an oracle, a prophetic utterance from you for your people. And it was recognized with such weight that it was written down and then carefully preserved across centuries until now in a prayer closet in Holland, Michigan. I can open up and read that text, translate it. Your Holy Spirit begin to draw my focus so that in this moment I might serve your people and glorify you by pointing to our call to sow in peace. Thank you for your written word. And now, Holy Spirit, do what only you can do. Lift it, ink from the page, as it were, and apply it to our hearts that empower us that you might bear great fruit to your glory. Thank you for this time together, for we pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen. A couple of things, and I'll move kind of quickly through some of these. I want to, again, work the next step down in the historical setting of Zechariah so you know just how to hear this promise of God's peace. That'll help you place it in the process of gospel transformation, how God wants to work in your life. And then we'll all understand, I hope, how it is that we sow shalom or sow peace. Last week, I preached from the book of Micah, and I kind of set up this uh, history line for you. From the United Kingdom... Saul, David, Solomon, that was the middle of that was about 1050. There came the divided kingdom, north and south. And you remember, if you were here last week, north, south, Israel, Judah, 1920, 08. The northern king is Israel. There were 19 kings, none of them were any good. The southern kingdom was Judah. There were 20 kings and eight of them were good. Well, Micah's ministry was just towards the end of that northern kingdom. They were beginning, the consequences of their sin were catching up with them. And in 722, the Assyrians came in, destroyed them, distributed them among the nations. Micah would have seen that, but he still had hope. And the Assyrians came to the very edge of Jerusalem, but God delivered them. So that's where Micah was. Today we need to add about 200 years real quickly. So I'm going to pull out in perspective. See, this is where we were. And you see the northern kingdom, Israel, ended. But the southern kingdom, Judah, continued for a little while. But things did not go well. They too continued in paths of idolatry and fearfulness. In trusting in their own ability rather than in God's. And so... There came a time where their kingdom, the southern kingdom, was destroyed. The Babylonians, another nation, overcame the Assyrians. And then the Babylonians actually destroyed Judah and Jerusalem, carried them off to Babylon. This is the Babylonian exile. Daniel was uh, a part of this. And you see, the line breaks for 70 years. And then in 538, a man who had been named King Cyrus, who'd been named hundreds of years before, the prophet Isaiah says, I'm going to raise up the Assyrians. They'll be governed by King Cyrus. He will bring you back. There wasn't an an Assyria or a Babylon. There wasn't a Cyrus. But 538, what God said would happen, happened, and they came back. The Babylonian exile was back. The southern kingdom returns, and this is where Zechariah is. About 20 years into the return, you'd call Zechariah, Haggai, and Malachi post-exile prophets, and that's what we mean by that. They're people who've been brought back from the exile. They're from the southern kingdom. They have a hope. And if you can get out and kind of get that flow of history, you're going to see the process of gospel transformation writ large into the history of Israel. You'll see the process by which God wants to work in your life and continues to work in the lives of all his people, just in the way he worked in that people, Israel and Judah. You see, things begin by recognizing our sin. Sin has consequences. Sometimes my life is so miserable, I'm frustrated with the consequences. Well, I need to ask what's the sin that's leading to the miserable consequences? Sometimes our sin and the consequences go on for so long that there's a moment of judgment. The northern kingdom, Israel sensed that as they were conquered by the Assyrians. As the southern kingdom, Judah would face the judgment of God. They were drawn off into exile. But the pattern is the same. Sin with its consequences and in judgment. That's truth, friends. My brother-in-law would not serve his patients if when he read that x-ray, he said, no need for me to tell them about their cancer. Let's just leave them happy. This is where it starts. Sin, consequences, and judgment. But that's not the end of the story with the God of this book because there comes a moment of redemption. Judah would be taken from exile back to Jerusalem. The exile would be over. God had promised it. He did it. So there's redemption and rescue and release. Now, what happens when I face consequences, found God's redemption, get back to my business? No. The third step in this process of gospel transformation is fruit bearing. Having been brought back into relationship now by His grace, I can live out His kingdom. See, sometimes we need to get this focus on God's big actions in history otherwise we can't see the forest the whole big thing because we're so focused on the trees We're, we focused on small bits and missed the big picture and that's the big picture that's underlying the history of Israel let's go back to that imagine if you thought of all of this as the season of sin consequences and judgment there's up times there's down times yes but overall it's headed down sin and its consequences lead to judgment There's exile for Judah. That's part of the narrative of the text we're looking at today. But there comes redemption and release. God says, the time is up. Now, I will take you from exile. We'll go back to Jerusalem. And so here's where Zechariah is with a message of so shalom, so right where you are, that is God's work. So you see these three steps, sin, redemption, and fruit-bearing. This is how God has worked in his people through the whole scripture. This is how God works in us. This is the underlying engine that drives that promise ever passing on and expanding. We see it in the nation of Judah's history. I want you to get that picture. So I've moved quickly with those graphics. Just get that. There's a step one, a step two, a step three. Now, how do you get to step three? You start at step one. You go to step two. And you get to step three. My brother-in-law talks with his patients who've had an extended life. Because he sliced them with a knife. They wouldn't be alive if they hadn't faced their cancer, done what was needed, and entered life. We're called to face our sin. To deal with it. Not just my behaviors, but the roots of those behaviors. And this is really tricky. If we see our sin... And we respond with shame. I'm such an awful person. No, 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 no. Not shame. The gospel of God's grace. That gospel of God's grace, like surgery, leads to life. Confession, repentance, fruit bearing. That is the work of God. You've seen it in Israel, Judah's history here. I want you to see that. And for many of us, I, I can kind of draw up my personal history in this. There was a, a time where I was just a church-going teenager. I'm not even going to go into details. God blew up my life. There was judgment, consequences of my sin and separation from him. He interrupted and introduced himself to me. And then there's been a time of fruit-bearing For years, I thought of that as a linear process. I'm outside. I hear the voice of Christ. I'm now inside. Now that I'm inside, work hard, do good, don't chew or kiss girls that do. Whatever the law is at your state in time, better get to work being that. It wasn't until much, much later that I began to realize that this flow of gospel transformation that we see in Israel's history, that I saw in my own, was not meant to be a one, two, three. It was meant to be the ongoing ebb and flow of life. I would dare say the daily experience, maybe a better word would be the regular experience of every believer. You see, across the journey of life, as we learn from Judah's history, as we begin to reflect on ourselves, and then as we really let the light of Scripture and the voice of the Spirit show us deeply, what should happen over time for all of us is a deepening sense of our own brokenness met by the gospel, not by shame, so that there's an ever-increasing vision of the cross and what it provides for us and an ever-growing fruit-bearing of the Spirit. See, that was the big history view of Judah. That's how God wants our lives to live, an ever-deepening awareness of our own brokenness, met not by shame, but an ever-increasing vision of the cross that God is able, and out of that, an ever-growing fruit-bearing of the Holy Spirit. I used to think that maturity in Christ was linear, that you just keep on, now that I've faced my sin, now that I've heard Christ, I just keep working on getting better. For years, I thought my duty as a pastor was to understand what the Scripture was saying, to do it, and then to get you to do it yourselves. Imagine my discovery when I saw that the Scripture tells me I am to depend on Jesus, and he will take me deeper, his cross will get ever bigger in my hope, and he will be the one who bears fruit, love, joy, kindness, yes, Bill, kindness, gentleness, self-control. It's him at work. It's him at work. And that's what's going on here in these minor prophets. And so now, at this season, when the promise has passed to the nation, and it's expanded to a nation, he says to Zachari- through Zechariah to his people, sow peace. Plant seeds of peace. It's amazing. Now, something I want to be real clear about I was, I was just electrified by this particular thing. I understand the New International Version reads that in the Hebrew and because everything that follows is about crops, they use one of the nuanced meanings of shalom, prosperous and success. There's the planting will be successful. But the word there is shalom and the word shalom in Hebrew is so rich and good and big. It's right there. Shalom. Shalom is more than simply the absence of conflict. It's the positive presence of wholeness. Peace might be the absence of disease. Shalom would be the presence of full health and strength. Let me get risky here. Peace and the end of conflict might mean that everybody in Washington, D.C. gets their Twitter account closed. Shalom would be that they all become friends and start working together in the best interest of a nation, even if they have different policies. See the difference between peace and shalom? Peace, there's no more shootings. Shalom, there's no more fear or reason to be be frightened. Shalom is so much more. When we've faced our sin, experienced God's release, he calls us to be people of shalom, to plant, to sow, not just our desires but his fruit, to sow shalom. He'd said this already while they were in exile. Jeremiah 29, I know the plans I have for you. Pray and prosper in Babylon. Because as the city prospers, you'll prosper. So, shalom. And in this text here this morning, it really is extraordinary. It's about the presence of God at work through God's people to sow shalom. Listen to how these things work. Zechariah 8.3, I'll hit some text from chapter 8 in Zechariah. This is what the Lord says, I myself will return to Zion and dwell in Jerusalem. Then Jerusalem will be called the faithful city and the mountain of the Lord Almighty will be called the holy mountain. Why? Because God is there. He's present. The tragedy for Israel is not that the nation was destroyed and carried away from Jerusalem to Babylon. It was not their loss of statehood or political power. The tragedy in Ezekiel 10 is that the glory of the Lord left the temple. That was the problem. And the solution is seen in Ezekiel 43. It's pointed to here in Zechariah 8. The glory of the Lord returns. It's the presence of God. Out of this presence, look at what flows. It's amazing. There's a blessing in the crops. I'll read Zechariah 8, 12 through 13. The seed will grow, the vine will yield its fruit, the ground will produce its crops, and heavens will drop their dew. The economy of an agrarian people will work and be fruitful. Listen to this difference in their neighborhood, Zechariah 8, 4 through 5. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Once again, men and women of ripe old age will sit in the streets of Jerusalem, each of them with cane in hand because of their age. The city streets will be filled with boys and girls playing there. That's the vision. Peace, shalom is sown. That's what it looks like in a neighborhood. Internationally. This is what the Lord Almighty says. This is Zechariah 8:20. Many peoples and inhabitants of many cities will yet come, and the inhabitants of one city will go to another and say, Let us go at once to entreat the Lord and seek the Lord Almighty. That's where He's present. We've got to go find Him. I myself am going. Will you go with me? And many peoples and powerful nations will come to Jerusalem to seek the Lord Almighty. Friends, as we live this cycle of gospel transformation, seeing our sin, finding the grace that overcomes it, sowing shalom, the fruit of God's work in our life, this is the hope for our community. It's not our policies. It's not us as a voting block. It's us as the people of God. If the tragedy was that the glory of the Lord lifted up how sad it is for me that in the many churches in America the glory is lifted if your sin pattern is consumerism and narcissism we have a church for that just go to a prosperity theology church see that's like my brother-in-law finding a patient with cancer and offering them cigarettes it's approving your sin pattern focused on self and selfishness find a church where the underlying theology is moralistic therapeutic deism friends the problem is that the glory of the Lord has lifted from his people May there be a return of God's glory and of the gospel of his hope that lets us see our brokenness, his provision, and then his willingness to bear fruit in us and then through us. That is the hope. I want to ask you something. On November the 5th, 2020, will you have the peace of God that passes all understanding? I don't know, Pastor, depends on who won on Tuesday. I want to tell you, if the peace of your heart depends on who wins November's election, you don't have the peace of God. The peace of God that passes all understanding comes from God, no matter who wins or loses. Now, vote your conscience, pursue the Lord, find that, see how it works, but peace comes from God. And if you have the peace of God, if we have as, as his people have that peace, we can bring it to our community, whatever the brokenness. But if our peace is from the world, then we really are concerned about November the 3rd, aren't we? Oh, it's important. I, I'll grant you this. <sighs> Whoever wins on November 3rd, that's more important than whoever wins New Orleans and San Francisco this afternoon. So I've got my priorities. But my peace comes from the living God. Do you see that? And as we live facing our own sin... Seeing how God's redemption has rescued us and then bearing that fruit, that's the hope of our world. I want to tell you, I've been reading a lot lately about social capital and cohesion. Holland is a pretty stuck-together place. We're all glued in a community. It's great, but that's not it across our nation. I read a great summary paragraph that pulled together all this reading. Think about this. In 2017... In the United States of America, an astonishing 150,000 Americans died from drug or alcohol abuse and suicide, 150,000 alcohol abuse, drug abuse, suicide, one year. More than U.S. combat deaths in World War I, Korean War, and Vietnam War combined. Demographers call those deaths of despair. And I don't know about your life, but I'm guessing that your life is kind of like mine. I've been touched by those deaths in my family, people I've loved, people I've pastored. There is a heartache in our world that won't be solved by a policy change. But if the glory of the Lord returns to his people, And we begin to live into all that the gospel is. And if we sow shalom, that shalom will change everything. 150,000 people struggling in 2017. God wants to work in us on their benefit for 2020 and 2021. Will it lead to policy changes, Pastor Bill? Probably, but I want to tell you until that change happens in us. we cannot take it to a world that is desperately waiting to hear. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I thank you that you have loved us deeply, that even where our lives are broken with sin, that you are not surprised nor put off. But in the fullness of your mercy, you meet us and Jesus is our hope. Move that hope deep into our lives and bear the fruit by your Holy Spirit of your peace. And in that peace, send us to a fearful, broken, angry, unforgiving, crazy world with a message not of ourselves, but of you. When peace like a river attends my way. I want to sing that as a meditation before communion. So just remain seated. When peace like a river attendeth my way.